wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letter you.org. I'm John Owen. Joining me is my very good friend and Tour co-host, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. Hey, John How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you, my friend. Uh, we're continuing on with our uh, Q&A here. We put it out to you, the listeners, to let us know what is on your mind. And what questions do you have regarding the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, for which you would like a simple, straightforward answer? Uh, as we mentioned last week, no hints, types, winks, or shadows, just the text. Um, there's no topic too controversial yet. Uh, there's no topic too taboo, so far, but you can try so it. So far, so good. So far, so, far, so, so good. good. Yeah, but yeah. we don't shy away from those, do we? No, we're not scared. We're not scared. If you yet. have a question yet, if you have a question that you'd like us to address... Uh, leave it in the comments section of this show on truthtoyou.org. So good day to Sharon Swanson. Hey, Sharon. Sharon was on the tour. Sharon. Sharon and Ted. Yeah, we, we Ted. know them well. That's right. We yep. Good day to her. Uh, Richard Tesher and Timothy, who all left excellent questions uh, in the comments section of last week's show. Uh, and it just so happens, Ross, that we pulled Richard's question from the hat for this week. And it is as following. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. Where and how is the book, the book of Jasher, injected in the Torah? How is it injected in the Torah, the Tanakh or the Holy Bible? He says, um, it's a really good question. And, that is an uh, excellent question. I think so. I mean, not everyone knows, Ross, that uh, the Tanakh makes reference to and even quotes from books that don't appear in the canon. Right. And, uh, and, and you have just completed a series that I thought was riveting, by the way, concerning an elusive document, that being the Scroll of the Torah of Moses. Um, right. This series, uh, you what was it, 12-part series that you entitled Torah? Yeah, 12 parts. 12 where, where can people find that? Just tell them. UnitedIsrael.org. UnitedIsrael.org, and you can find it. It is at, it's, uh, it's very easy to find. Because you can you can find uh, the category that's called Torah, the series, and there it'll be, 12 of them. Yeah, it's exceptional. People should listen to it. But that's the that's the scroll of the Torah of Moses uh, that you, you address within there. Um, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if we had a book entitled, like in, in the, maybe in the Torah, in the canon of the Torah, uh, the five books, um, which would then be the six books, I suppose, if we had something called the Scroll of the Torah of Moses and we would know specifically what was in that. Um, right. So here's a, here's a question. Okay. How is it different to say, um, you know, when I, when I think of topics like this, uh, one of my favorite examples is um, the Midrash of the Prophet Edo. You and I have right. talked about this before. The Midrash yep, of the yep. Prophet Edo. So everyone's going, so what, what's that? Well, that... That appears in Second Chronicles chapter thirteen, verse twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it also. I think Edo also is mentioned in Zechariah. Is he Zechariah's grandfather? Something like that. He might be in a, okay. in a genealogy. But in Chronicles, uh, the midrash of the prophet Edo records events concerning uh, Aviah's reign, his conduct, and and his acts. Um, hmm. He is, of course, the uh, the son and successor of Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, right? Is that right? Have I got this correct so far? Yeah, and so that'd be, you're saying that if we had that book by Edo, hmm. that'd be an interesting book to read. Well, it, it'd be an interesting one, and it's one that seems to be authenticated within 
the Tanakh. It's in uh, it's mentioned as a legitimate thing in uh, in Chronicles. Um, so right. he, here's a, here's a question. Here's a couple of questions for you to kick off with before we get to Jasha. Um, okay. If because by the we way, were... Jono, if we have time, we can go through all sorts of books that are mentioned in the Bible that we don't have anymore. If uh, if we have time after we address be, the question, you know, that'd be cool. I'm up for that. So, so okay. the question, the questions that are going through my mind, which I'm interested in your opinion here, um, if we were to find, right, say, because mm-hmm. we don't have the, the 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 midrash of the prophet Edo, if we were to find, say, a Dead Sea Scroll, right, um, yeah. you know, so, someone happens upon some more, uh, say, some some jars, pottery jars, and inside one of the documents that we uh, discover is the the midrash of the prophet Edo. Let's say it's written in Paleo Hebrew. Ah. Uh, and it's and it's an original document. It's it's very very old. Um, do you think? First question: Do you think it would be included? Such a discovery would be included in copies of of the Tanakh going forward. Do you think it would be an accepted part of the canon, being that it's already no. been? No, you don't think. I I don't think so. I think it would certainly stimulate a lot of great academic discussions, and people would be getting into you know the dating and the paleography and. You know, there would be debates forever. Uh, Now, there would Mm -hmm. be people, obviously, like me and you, who would say, wow, this is cool. Let me look at it. But I think I think for the most part, people would be um, they would be too, you know, they don't want to add anything to it. They've pretty much since, say, uh, the third century or so. People have pretty much said this is the Bible. That's it. No more. Let's leave it alone. So even even though it's mentioned in the Bible as a legitimate thing, uh, the prophet Edo, obviously a prophet of the Lord, and you, you don't think that, uh, and it'd be interesting. It's something to think about anyway. Now, how is how is a potential find like this, or or a uh, a scroll that we don't have, how is that different to say the the scroll of the Torah of Moses? Because what what a lot of your uh, series is about is how can we pinpoint what was actually in that in that scroll? Do you want to just talk about the differences there? Because Edo we don't have; we just have a reference to Edo. We don't actually have the body of the document. Whereas the scroll of the Torah of Moses, we don't know specifically what is on right. that scroll, but we believe we have the body of that document within, say, Deuteronomy. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that's very fair. And you bring up a really good question. So you have, for instance, this midrash of the prophet. Edo, um, you only have a mention and you have very little to go on. I mean, it's it seems that you would have to, in other words, if you found a scroll and it contained several columns of text, you would obviously read that and look to see how much of it correlates with information that we already have you know, in in our current Bible and various other things you would do. With the scroll of the uh, the Torah of Moses, it's different. And and I cover this fully in the course that I we just talked about, in that you have seven references that clearly say Moses wrote this. So that gives you one point from which to begin. You can say, okay, if it says that he wrote uh, in Exodus 17, it says that he wrote something about the Amalek, this person Amalek. So you can go find it. And you work your way through the list. And then there are other references to the scroll of Moses that are clearly, uh, they give us enough information that we can substantiate it and correlate it within our current Bible. Whereas something, I think something like, 
this would be a little bit tougher just because, you know, you don't have a lot to go on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. No, I'm with you there. Now, now talking about having a little bit to go on, the Book of Joshua is no exception. It, (laughs) As far as I know, it only appears in two verses in the Tanakh. Is, Is that right? That's right. That's right. We only have two quotes, and and I'm thankful that we have these. But with these two quotes, you know, as you know, it's very difficult to build uh, any understanding of what that larger body of work might have looked like. But it kind of leads into what you just asked. Maybe we can, if we read what we have from the book of Jasher, as it's pronounced in English by many people, Jasher, uh, then we can go back and and talk about how could you build on that or how is there any way we can know what else is in yeah. that missing book? Now, speaking of pronunciation uh, in Hebrew, is it Yashir? Yashir? It's Yash, Yashar is the Yashar. root word, which uh-huh. means the upright one or upright or straight, something of that nature. Um, and then it, it comes across. We'll talk about that because I want to point something out in the Hebrew so if you if you were going to pronounce it correctly according to the Hebrew it would be Yashar but let's talk about it after we go through the verses you want to Okay so the first verse is Joshua chapter 10 verse 13 so this is by the way I mean this is very early we, we, the, the the mentions are in Joshua and in Samuel um, right. so we're talking about a pretty early document and uh chapter 10 verse 13 of Joshua makes reference to the story of uh, the sun and the moon standing still. Everyone knows this story. Right. Uh, right. And it concludes saying, and it, it seems to quote from it, and uh, it concludes by saying, is it not recorded in the book of Joshua? So it says here, uh, or maybe I'll read from can, verse. Can start, yeah. do, read from 12 to 14 yeah. if you can, Jonah. All right, here it comes. Uh, actually, you know what? Let me put on my reading glasses. Okay. And the reason, okay. by the way, while you're doing that, the reason mm. I say between 12 and 14 is because in the Hebrew, these verses are separated by the white spaces, yes. these ancient markings. Uh-huh. On that, uh, from 12, on that occasion when the Lord routed the Amorites before uh, the Israelites, Joshua addressed the Lord. He said in the presence of the Israelites, quote, Stand still, O sun at Gibeon, O moon at the valley of Aelon, mm-hmm. and the sun stood still and the moon halted while a nation wreaked judgment on its foes, as it is written in the book of Yasha. It says, Thus the sun halted in mid-heaven and did not press on to set for a whole day. Uh, for the Lord f- fought for Israel neither before nor since has there been ever such a such a day when the Lord acted on words spoken by a man. Interesting. Uh, what? What do you make of that, Ross? I tell you, it is an interesting text, and and it's the what you mentioned before you started that this particular um, the way the way that you put it is this particular text and the other text which mentions the book of Yashur are both evidently referring to a document document that must be very very ancient because it's recorded so early in the Israelite history. So whatever Joshua is quoting, if we place the chronology and say that this must be taking place, you know, a lot of people based on a biblical understanding would date the Exodus around 1450 BCE. 
So we're talking 1410 or so BCE, you know, roughly 1400 BCE, mm-hmm. when this is quoting a document which already was probably early. Uh, the r- thing that go so ahead. Let, can go I ahead. can I just let me just uh, let me see let me repeat back to you what you just said and tell me if I've got it right. Okay. The 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 book of Joshua is quoting the book of Yasha, which is mm-hmm. referencing the event that we're reading about in the book of Joshua. I think what's going on here is Joshua is looking at this incredible event, which is described in the text as the sun standing still in the middle of the day. And and he finds support for this event in an earlier writing. In other words, he's saying, just as this said it would happen in the book of Jeshur, here we are, and the sun is standing still. So you're, so you're, you're hypothesizing that this uh, this particular quote from the book of Yasha is prophetic, and Joshua's gone, bing, look at that. I, I, that, I or, guess that's, or, yeah. or, not necessarily, that's, that's one theory, and that may be the way it sounded as I described it, or Joshua is looking at uh, the events of his day, and it is very interesting that this other early work referenced something similar. Does that, you know, maybe not quite. Yeah. Or, it's, mm-hmm. or. <laughs> here's, an, here's another possibility. Or um, the book of Yasha included an account, a poetic account of the events of this particular day that was um, uh, that's being referenced here in chapter 10. And the writer of the book of Joshua later uh, adds the detail into the, into the canon of, of the book of Joshua, perhaps mm-hmm. quoting uh, Yasha, uh, Yasha's account of, uh, of this event. A- a- have I made sense there? In other words, yes, yeah. in other words, yep. this this narrative may have been uh, inserted into jo- Joshua at a later date, there, thereby quoting something that was written around the actual time. Does does that make sense? Could very well be. And and one thing that I want to dig into in a moment is most people who read this will identify um, Yashar or Jashur, however they want to pronounce it, based on their English Bible. They want to think that that is a person. So, for instance, just like we talked about and I taught on for 12 weeks, the scroll of the prophet Moses, uh, that is a scroll that Moses wrote, Moses being the proper name, obviously. Mm-hmm. Some might look at this and say, you know, Yashar, the guy Yashar wrote this as a proper name, but we're we're going to talk about that in a little bit because that's the way a lot of people view it, and it causes us to have some insight that might be a little bit of a flag for something which came along later. I'll, I don't. I want to kind of be cryptic about it right now. Mm, all right. Well, shall we? Uh, shall I read from Second Samuel chapter one, verse eighteen? Yeah. Yeah. Hold let's on. do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's do that. Well, let's go Second. from seventeen. Uh, and I Second think Samuel. Mm-hmm. Second Samuel chapter one. From, I'm going to read from seventeen. And I. Okay. Oh wow, this is actually a, a pretty significant quote. Okay, I'm I ready. Don't I don't know. Let's uh, see. It, <clears throat> well, you you explain this to me. Let me let, let's have a look at this. And by the way, this I think this is the verse that is quoted in regards to caliber three. Is that right? That is exactly right. You're, oh, you're right. Okay. I remember that's let me, on the wall. And let me Colonel read that. Got, yep. Colonel Gott. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it, and then you and you can uh, tell me okay. uh, what he says about that. Uh, and David intoned intoned. 
this dirge. What's a dirge? A lamentation. A lamentation over he's, Saul he's and in, his... He's in bitterness over the death of uh, Saul and Jonathan. And Jonathan. Uh, he ordered the Judites to be taught um, the song of the bow. Uh, it is recorded in the book of Yashar. Now, what follows here? Is this the song of the bow? I believe it is. Okay, so this uh, is this is a I, lengthy quote from Yasha. Or or again, we're we're speculating some, but it could be that the quote from the book of Yashar is simply to teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. But ah. it's it could go in other words, I've always understood it to be that the quote from Yashar is simply that to teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. But you're actually suggesting something that I find quite interesting because you are pushing that into what follows from, uh, I guess, verse 19 through 27. But either way, let's read that because this is interesting. And and I and I don't know. And I'm I'm inclined to side with uh, the perspective that you just outlined, rather than to say that this is a quote from the book of Yasha, because uh, it specifically mentions Saul and mm-hmm. Jonathan, and this is much right. much later. So um, unless it's a document that's continually updated with uh, poem and song, uh, I, right. I don't know. But this is definitely uh, a poetic structure. Uh, with what mm-hmm. follows here in 19, it says, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights, how you have, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gat. Do not proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of, Philistine, of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised ex- exult. O hills of Gilboa, uh, let there be no dew or rain on you, or bountiful fields, for there is, uh, for there the shield of warriors lay rejected, the shield of Saul polished with oil no more. Uh, from the blood of slain, from the fat of warriors, the bow of Jonathan never returned back, the sword of Saul never withdrew empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and cherished, never parted in life or death. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughter of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in crimson and finery, who decked your robes with jewels of gold. How the mighty have fallen in the thick of battle, Jonathan slain on your heights. I grieve for you, my brother Jonathan. You were most dear to me. Your love was wonderful to me, more than the love of women. How have the mighty fallen, the weapons of war perished? Mm. You know, that that really is a touching, very, very touching uh, mm. lamentation. A couple of observations, if, if I can. One of the things that I find interesting, uh, I do think that what we get initi- uh, initially in here to teach the children of Judah the use of the bow, I think that that is the quote uh, from the book of Jasher. And I want to I want to draw out, though, that this this book, whatever it is, this scroll in Hebrew, Safer, whatever it is, this book is quoted by David and Joshua, two men of war. Mm. Now, why would that be? Um, one of the things that I find, if I were trying to teach a class on the book of Jasher, I would obviously refer to these two biblical references, and I would draw out one thing that I find very interesting. If you read the passage in Joshua 10, you'll see that it has to do with a battle scene. Uh, The warrior Joshua Mm -hmm. is referencing this book of Yashar. And and he says, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies, Mm. right? 
So it's something about warfare. And then if you look at 2 Samuel uh, to the second reference, it also deals with teaching the children of Judah the use of the bow. So biblically, the main thing that we can uh, pull from these two texts is that it seems to at least have had some references to battle. Would you agree with that? Right, which makes it so fitting, I suppose, for a place like Caliber 3 to have this as a prominent quote. So Caliber 3, just to let people know, is a uh, a destination, a, a location that we visit in uh, uh, Gush Etzion, right? Uh, Efrat. Yeah, it's in yeah, Efrat. Efrat. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and what goes on there? What is this place? Just quickly, uh, Ross, that we visit on Tanakh tours. Uh, Colonel Gott is a military commander, and he has a military staff with him, and and it is exactly in reference to this quote to teach the children uh, of Judah the use of the bow. It is a gun range, but it is a training facility for some of the most elite groups in Israel military, uh, police, anti-terrorist groups, counterterrorism training. They offer all of these things. Uh, they teach people how to use handguns and all sorts of Israeli weapons. It's a fantastic place, and we discovered it. You and I have begun to bring our tour groups there as a really fun something to break up the it's tour. Exciting. And I, yeah, it's I'm really telling exciting. you, it really is. So it's it's a fantastic place. People can look it up on the internet. Uh, it's called Caliber Three. We even have a couple of places in the states now, sort of satellite offices for oh, Caliber right? Three. Yeah. Oh, good one. Uh, by the way, uh, tell it not in God. Um, this is obviously from uh, in Second Samuel, where it says that in this poem that you just read. Mm. That's the way that Colonel Gott would spell his name. So I find it yeah. interesting that he sees his own name in this text. Yeah, that is, it, I thought it, of that when you it, said it, that. And do you uh, remember God, God, when of we were is, there? We we were uh, well. I remember when we were in um, Caliber Three, and I also remember when we were in the Valley of Allah. Where um, Goliath, who's from Gat, if I remember correctly, that's right, yeah, uh, yeah. and and the battle between David and Gat, um, yeah, I remember it very well. And well, I was uh, going to add, I was going to add that when we were there, he told the group that we brought there. He said, "Look, we live in a tough neighborhood, mm -hmm. and and it didn't just get to be a tough neighborhood." He said, so we teach the soldiers that come here in the IDF soldiers who come in through for training and so forth, that you, if you're going to be a soldier for Judah, you have to learn the art, as he says, of the bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, there's a lot we could say about that, but we uh, will reserve that for those who come on the tour. And uh, even though our uh, itinerary is top secret, I'm going to let people know that uh, we are planning to go back to uh, Caliber 3 this coming November, not this November, November 2021. Uh, right. And um, there's still room for people to join us on Tanakh Tours. Just go to TanakhTours.com. But the Book of Yasha... Uh, Ross. So yeah. we don't have a an original copy, right? Well, that's that's the point I wanted to bring up. If you only had the English Bible um, and you read in Joshua and then you read in 2 Samuel a reference that said the book of Jasher, and there wasn't much to go on. There are only these two passages. You know, people tend to love to fill in the void. Uh, there's an old saying, and it really comes from a Christian minister, but I've always kind of kept it in my mind as a Bible teacher. And it is uh, 
speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent, call Bible things by Bible names and do Bible things in Bible ways. Mm-hmm. I've always liked that because people tend quite often, regardless of their religious affiliation, to want to fill in the white spaces, fill in the gaps where we don't have much, ironically, that's where people get really creative. And that happened, Jono, as in regard to the book of Jasher. And and it happened because we have two works that are called the book of Jasher. In fact, I know and I have uh, in my library the book of Jasher. And and here here's the first one. You ready for this? Definitely. There was uh, in the 18th century what was later termed a literary forgery. Now I happen to be doing a little bit of research on this kind of stuff as you Jono know. So when I brushed up for this question that we had tonight, my my mind took off and I said, "Eh, I want to check it out now. I want to read it again. It's been a long time. But this person claimed uh, in the 18th century to possess a document that he claims he got an English translation way back to the 8th century, which claimed to even be older than that. And this is a full document. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just the little bit that we have. It claims in this 18th century work to be written by um, a person by the name of Jasher, who the, the book claims to be the son of Caleb. Now, we're talking about the Caleb who's mentioned in the wilderness itineraries. Mm-hmm. The problem is, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for people, uh, the problem is, is that Jasher is not a name. Now, you kicked us off with the perfect segue into what I'm about to say. You talked about this Midrash of Edo, the prophet. One would expect by the name of that document, if we were to find something of that nature, that it would have been written by Edo, just as we have the other example that we've mentioned, the, the scroll of the prophet Moses. or the scroll of Isaiah, or Jeremiah, so forth and so on. But this is not a name. Jeshur is not a name. In fact, the two references that we've just covered, in the Hebrew it says, Sefer Hayashar. Now, Hayashar, you hear the ha on the front. Some of our listeners know Hebrew, some don't. That indicates that it it is the definite uh, the definite article. So really, it's called the safer or the scroll of the upright. Huh. Um, and so it's not a personal name here. But interestingly enough, most English translations and even uh, the Hebrew translation that I'm looking at now, I believe, um, capitalize it as it's a personal name. But it's not hmm. clearly. The text indicates that. Whatever this document was, it was a scroll, a collection of things for the upright. Uh, you might translate it righteous, but typically when I think righteous, I think of the word sedek in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So this is more of an upright. Now, I did want to say that we do have a common name, uh, not common as in uh, exhibited quite often in the text, but we do have a personal name that's applied in the Bible that's tied also to Yashar. And do you remember what that is? Remember how Israel is referred to as the English says Jeshurun? 
Oh, Yeshirun, yeah. Yeah. Yeshirun. That, that's the same root word, at least, right. uh, of this title. No, that's interesting. Um, I'm just having a quick, the wiki's got a really nice little, um, uh, as they do, you know, a little summary of these things. Yeah. Uh, it says that there's several books that have claimed to be the lost lost text, uh, mm-hmm. as some of which are discounted as pseudopigrapha. Now, there's a word. I had to ask James a number of years ago what that was about. Pseudopigrapha, right. Ross. Give us a definition there. Pseudo means false. Pigrapha, you hear the graph. It's it's a, like an autograph. It's writing. So a person, if they write, give me your autograph, Jono, you're a popular radio host, it means you're going to self-write. You're going to put your own name. So pseudepigrapha are uh, false writings, basically. So someone forging my name, you know, maybe to vote or something like that is what you're saying is pseudepigrapha. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> Let's not go there. Yeah. Uh, it goes yeah. on to say that certain members of the Church of uh, Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, right, Mormons, secured the copy, or a particular copy, uh, an English translation, and they, um, yeah, they copyrighted it, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. But I think, so this is the reason why it was rejected uh, or any particular representation of uh, the book of Yasha was rejected from being in the canon because no one was really sure what was original and what was not. The transmission of authenticity was not there. Is that fair? Yeah, there wasn't a chain of uh, custody really on on either of the two main documents which claim to go back that far. Uh-huh. Now, the, the piece that you're looking at now, is it talking about uh, the 18th century piece? piece that was written it may be i oh you're right uh it was republished in 1887 in salt lake city uh-huh okay. mm-hmm. they they have a tendency to find uh these documents that you can't trace back like golden tablets and things like that don't they <laughs> yeah, they do you, you they have do, to be but... careful of, of mormons bearing books yeah yeah <laughs> but it's probably worth a look at if anyone wants to uh, chase that down you can probably uh you know find a copy on the web that they have the copyright too. So that's the now, book of Yesha. There's, there's the other one. Wait, one more one more thing. We do have uh, this Midrash, mm-hmm. um, the Sefer Hayashar, and it traces back the um, it traces back to 1625. In the introduction, it mentions that it was taken from a 1552 edition, and that claims uh, this introduction also claims that this Midrash uh, called Sefer Hayashar mm-hmm. was uh, rescued from uh, from the land of Israel after 70, a Roman soldier supposedly took a person into his custody, I guess, who had this document on him. And uh, people might want to read the story of Sefer Hayashar uh, in Lewis Ginsburg's book, The Legends of the Jews. I don't know if you have that one, Jono, but it's I mentioned don't. in there as well. Yeah, no, I don't. Interesting have stuff. It is interesting. It, it is interesting because I'm just reading on here in the wiki. Uh, it says, The Book of the Wars of the Lord. Now, here's another one The Book of the Wars ah. of the Lord is mentioned mm-hmm. in Numbers 2114. Uh, it is speculatively associated with one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the War of the Sons of Light against the Sons of Darkness. Now, mm-hmm. uh, we could come back to that because we've been to the um, uh, the Shrine of the Book, and um, yep. but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it goes on to say that the Book of the Wars of the Lord is also cited in the 18th century book, 18th century Book of Yasha, uh, pseudo Yasha, it says. Um, mm-hmm. Translation Moses Samuel around 1840, uh, J.H. Parry 
1887, and uh, and it's giving the reference there as being collaborative uh, recording written by Moses Joshua and, and the children of Israel. Is that the one that you just referenced, or, or is this just another? I think, it, I think it's another one actually, but huh. it could be uh, it could be one of these appeared in 1751. And, and this becomes the difficulty because over time, again, it goes back to that point I made when somebody reads about it and they go, hey, we don't have that book. And then some crafty person says, oh, but look what I just found. I found it, <laughs> you know, and then people are. Now, it's it's funny that you mentioned that this uh, book of the wars of the Lord that appeared also mentions the book of Jasher. You know, it's like uh, I, I just find that interesting because people mm. a lot of people who want to look at uh, this pseudepigrapha or apocryphal books or, or books of the nature that we're talking about. They love this juicy stories, you know, that Mm. these creative people put in there. And it's usually stuff that isn't in your Bible. So then it becomes a great mystery. And Mm. I know a lot of people who I have in my library a whole bookshelf full of books that are tied to this kind of thing, like the lost books of the Bible, the missing books of the Bible, the Vatican's secret archives, you know, just stuff that's fun to read on an airplane. Or Instagram post. Um, So so, um, it's it's interesting, isn't it? So there there is a lot of conspiracy perhaps or uh, mystical sort of stuff as well tied into where, where there's room to move. People love to fill those gaps. And yep. um, but uh, just getting back quickly, yeah, the war of the sons of light against the sons of darkness. That's not one. Wait, that- Jonah, before you go there, can can we look at? I, I love this passage in Numbers twenty one. Can oh, we yeah. look at that? Is it Let's okay? Do that. We can do it. You mentioned it, and the reason uh, it's it's really important, uh, I think that that we see this is the only, by the way, the only mention, uh, as you pointed out, of the book of the wars of Jehovah hmm. in the Hebrew Bible. It's in this very. Remember, James taught us the word pericope. It's oh, just yeah, that's this right. isolated saying. Yeah. But I find it interesting, and I'll I'll read it in verse fourteen of Numbers twenty one. Wherefore, it is said in the book of the wars of Jehovah, Vahave in Sufa and the wadis of Arnon and the streams of the wadis that goes down to the dwelling of Ar and lies upon the border of Moab. And from thence they went to Beir, that is the well of which Jehovah spoke to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Now, the reason this is... um, it, it interests me. I'm studying uh, for a certain thing that I'm working on, and I'm dealing with those wadis and those areas mm-hmm. that are east of the Jordan Rift. And there is a very good article that was just published, like I think in the last month or so, Jono. And it's where scholars are debating this isolated saying about the book of the wars of the Lord. And they're trying to interpret it it seems for the most part to just be uh, included in the book of Bamidbar, in the book of Numbers, because of its geographic references, right? Yeah. Um, well, what's interesting is that scholars debate the meaning of some of these words because they they no longer can identify with any real certainty 
what some of this means. Now, I'm going to just throw out just a quick teaser. I only brought that up so that I can say this passage has been very interesting for me because of the research that I'm currently doing that will make it into my book. Hmm. All right. Well, you're just going to leave us hanging on the end I, of our I, seat? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm writing as quickly as I can, but yes, it. But so to get in the geography east of the Jordan is yep. uh, is very interesting. Uh, there are some really good maps and uh, in this article that I'm referencing, and it was published, as I said, on thetorah.com. Uh, right. I think that's what I said, but that's that's that, where it was. Yeah, that makes sense. And and stay tuned for this book, as we mentioned last week. You're only a number of months away before it is finished and published. And I, for one, am am on the edge of my seat for this book that you are writing. I I know a lot of uh, you've been keeping me up to date with a lot of uh, the research that you've been doing, and I am so excited about it, Ross. I think that this really is for me the most anticipated book I've ever been waiting to get hold of. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait until it's it, published. And I, I highly recommend that everyone get a couple of copies because, believe me, it's um, it's mind-blowing. Um, well, and it, it kind of, well, we can't say much, but this subject that we're talking about tonight is fun because, you know, as I just said, Numbers 21 kind of puts me east of the Jordan. And, and I'm not giving too much away, Jono. You know a lot of details, but... This uh, this east of the Jordan geography is important mm. for anyone who's studying the Torah, you know, because uh, this is where it's situated in the Torah, and we want to know these places. We do want to know these places. Uh, so the Book of the Walls of the Lord, so do you see them as associated with uh, the War of the Sons of Light against the Sons of Darkness, the Dead Sea Scroll that was, um, uh, that was discovered, also the architecture that... Uh, is depicted uh, at the Shrine of the Book at the Israel Museum. Well, you notice a common theme about what we've been talking about to, tonight on this. War. Uh, and, yeah, war. And, and and if you think about the history of the ancient Israelites, war played a, a very, very big part from its earliest uh, inception as a nation. Israel deals with war from the very beginning and throughout the history, throughout the Bronze Age and into the Iron Age and, and all the way up through the end of the biblical period. So you are going to find, we are going to find quite a bit of literature about war uh, when we're dealing with the Bible. Uh, if you were to try to pull war out of the Bible, you would be left with not very much, quite not very frankly. Much. The, the Bible looks forward to uh, an ultimate battle, which we had a question from uh, Piper Kelly about mm. uh, the, the latter part of Ezekiel. You know, and you now her question was about chapters 40 through 48. But remember, we have this ultimate war in Ezekiel yep. uh, chapter 36, is it, where it talks about Gog, Vamagog, Gog and Magog. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, so ultimately, according to Isaiah, there will be no more war, and the implements of of uh, warfare will be turned into farming instruments. May that mm -hmm. day come in our lifetimes. Mm. In the meantime, though, we have all of this literature about war. Even their poems are about war. Um, this, the battle of the sons of light and the sons of darkness is very typical in that genre in that it depicts, uh, you know, uh, that and other scrolls depict an ultimate battle between good and evil. And so it, it's 
it's a pretty consistent theme that we find in this literature. So yeah. they don't, it doesn't have to tie in with this particular book of the Wars of the Lord, but let's face it, the Wars of the Lord have been many. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Piper Kelly's question. She does ask a question about Ezekiel. We won't get there today, obviously, but um, it does. These, these sort of topics raise questions about why were certain books mentioned but not included in the canon of the Torah? Uh, mm-hmm. And conversely, Ross, why are some books included in the canon of the Torah, which Piper's question lends itself to? And perhaps we'll get there next week, uh, Piper, so stay, stay tuned. Because uh, it does sort of tie in other books, Ross, that are mentioned in the Tanakh yeah. that we don't have. Go for it. Let, let's go through a couple pretty quickly because one of the things that we see when we get to, uh, uh, particularly once we get out of Samuel, we get to Kings and Chronicles. We get uh, a repetition uh, that's followed throughout the text. We get what we would call the Chronicles of the Kings, that phrase, the Chronicles of the Kings, which is often followed by of Judah. At other times, it's of Israel. Let me give you a couple examples, Jono. Go to uh, 1 Kings. Let's go to 1 Kings and uh, chapter 14. Mm Mm-hmm. And we'll just flip through and, and just look at a couple of these and uh, and draw out. the. These are other books, as you mentioned, that are mentioned in the text, but, but we don't have them anymore. So four, we don't have them. Uh, first Kings 14, 14. 19 and on. Uh, yep. The other events of Yeruvam's reign, how he fought and how he ruled, are recorded in the annals of the kings of Israel. Yeruvam mm-hmm. Uh, reigned 22 years, and then he slept with his father's. His son, Nadab, succeeded him as king. Um, yeah, in the uh, Chronicles of uh, of Israel. Yeah, and, and here's the interesting thing. So in, in Hebrew, it says, Sefer Divrei Hayamim, the scroll of, uh, and if you, if you look, you have the Chronicles or the words of the days. I said kings, I meant days. The, the scroll of the words of the days. Now, in our Bible, the book of Chronicles mm-hmm. is really called Divrei Hayamin. So hmm. you, a lot of people might say, well, maybe this is referencing Divrei Hayamin, the Chronicles, the book of Chronicles. That's not the case, because what we will find is that quite often you, uh, you have uh, the reigns of both are are contained in Kings and Chronicles, you know, and, mm. and you can read through those. But this seems to point to another document, and you can just read all these references. But look down at verse 29 of First Kings 14. Yeah, I'm just having a look at that. Then uh, the other events of Yeravam's reign and all his actions are recorded in the annals of the king, the kings of Judah. Right. And so on and so now, forth. Okay. That's... Remember in in the one you read uh, just a moment ago in verse 19, it says in the Sefer Divrei Hayamim, the kings of Israel. Mm -hmm. And this says that there is a similar work, uh, the Sefer Divrei Hayamim, kings of Judah. Judah. So so you have these different documents and it goes on and on all the way through. Um, I have an article that I've, I've written. It's not ready for publication yet. Uh, but let me see if I counted how many times. Uh, I'm just looking at my list of verses, and there are probably 30 references. And this is what my article says. Examples of such documents include the frequent references to the annals of the kings, 
sometimes followed by Judah and sometimes followed by Israel. Hmm. And I think that there must be, yeah, I'm looking, I'm guessing probably 20 to 30 at least on this one page. Is that, is now, that right? I didn't know it yep. was uh, it mm-hmm. was that frequent. So I'm just looking at another one here in First Kings 16, 20. The other events of Zimri's reign and the treason which he committed are recorded in the annals of the kings of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, and if you're in 16, what verse did you just read? Yeah, that, that was 16.20, I think. Yeah, look at chapter 16, verse 5. Uh, now, the, the rest of the acts of Baasha and what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And then if you go down to verse 14, um, now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Right. So you get... Over and over, uh, and then look at verse 27. There's another one, 1627. The other events right? of Omri's reign and his actions and the exploits he performed are recorded in the annals of the kings of Israel. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So as people read through these historical records, uh, kings and chronicles in particular, they're going to notice a, a very frequent reference to these other documents, and and we just don't have them. It's, it's interesting, Russ, because it, it's as if this is a um, a, a collation of infom- of essential information, and then it says, "Oh, and he did some other stuff," uh, and that's all of that is recorded in the in the annals of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. But these are the yeah. these are the the pinpoint, you know, these are the highlights that we're just putting together in Kings or maybe in Chronicles. Is that the way that it comes across to you? It seems like yeah, these other documents have more detail. Is my point? Yeah, it's almost like uh, these are because it, it wants you to. It says if you're interested in reading the rest of the acts of so and so. Now, some of these occurrences where we find this, we have quite a bit of the history already recorded, mm-hmm. but it's it's almost as if these were put together, uh, sort of a summary of of these particular individuals, these these kingdoms, these kings, mm-hmm. and so forth. Look, here's another interesting one. Look at Second uh, Chronicles thirty three, and um, let's see, verse eighteen, I think it is. Now, the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel, his prayer also and how it was accepted and all his sins and his trespass and the places on which he built high places and set up Asherim and carved idols before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written among the sayers of the seers. The now, sayers of the seers? Yeah. What was huh. English say? <clears throat> Some translations have a formal name. Hosei. Um, H-O-Z-A-I, I think, is the mm-hmm. way the JPS presents it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to look because in verse 19 it says "divrei um, Hosai. and a you know in Hebrew if we want to talk about a vision you know where it talks about this in the book of Isaiah begins with the chazon this vision of so I typically when I see the word. Chosai, in Hebrew, I think of a visionary. You know, we have different words. By the way, I'm teaching a series on the prophets, so I'm going to get into some of this in a in an upcoming right. class. But we have the different words for, if I can use the general term prophet, we have the word 
Uh, Navi in Hebrew means a prophet. Uh What does that mean? We can talk about it. But uh, and then we have the word for seer. And then this here, this word, Chazai is a visionary, if you will, one who Mm -hmm. can see things that are coming. And so so this, by the way, this is the only reference in the Hebrew Bible to the words of Chazai. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe it's a personal name. I think it's it's a reference to this idea here. So there's a lot of these, Ross. Give us a few more. Well, I'm looking. I think that that, uh, those are the main ones that I had on the pad in front of me. There are numerous other books. And of course, I know that years ago, uh, you know, I started my journey, my spiritual journey in Christianity. And you remember that in, well, you may not remember, it's been a long time, but in the Christian uh, scriptures, in the book of Jude, there's reference to the book of Enoch. And so that's that's another one. Yeah, so, that is a wild so a lot read, of yeah. people can't wait to read the book of Enoch, you know, people. Mm. And and then you have people say, well, if Jude quoted it, why don't we have it? Ah, it's the Catholics again, you know, they keep hiding this stuff from us. <laughs> but, but interestingly enough, whether one is looking at the Hebrew Bible or the Christian scriptures, those are the two bodies of literature I'm most familiar with. I'm sure it's in other places, too. Whenever we get just a mention, Mm. people, as the old saying goes, inquiring minds want to know what else does this book. And that is a field where um, the outrageous loves to dwell. So someone says, well, if you're looking for the book of Jasher, come this way. I've got a copy of it. it. It tends to invite people to expand on what we have. Mm. That you know, it really does. I think. Yeah, yeah, it does certainly lend itself to that. So, in the list that I've got in front of me, I, as I mentioned, and people might want to um, look this up and do their own research, um, but there's a tidy little list on Wiki uh, non-canonical yeah. books referenced in the Bible and. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, we've just touched on a whole lot of them. Uh, it continues on with uh, something called the manner of the kingdom in 1 Samuel 10.25. Remember that 1 Samuel 10.25, hmm. that's the passage where... Ah, um, we talked about that last week. Yeah, we did. And I think what that is indicating... See, so some of these may apply to some other document. But if you read 1 Samuel 10.25, clearly Samuel is writing the rules of the kingdom Mm -hmm. in the scroll, and he's putting it before Jehovah. So the question Uh, is, what scroll? Okay, I'm ready. I'm glad you picked that up. Um, The Acts of Solomon, uh, referenced in 1 Kings 11.41. Annals Mm -hmm. of King David uh, in 1 Chronicles 27.24. The Book of Samuel the Seer. Huh. In in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, there's references there. Also called Samuel the Seer or Acts of Samuel the Seer, which could be the same as First and Second Samuel, but but originally we, I mean, the book of Samuel is really one book divided in two, is it not? That's right, Samuel A and Samuel B, we would call it. In fact, some have proposed, some scholars have proposed that originally First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings were referred to as the Book of the Kingdoms, and it was a, a volume, a voluminous uh, group of a grouping, if you will, of these mm-hmm. various things, which were later divided. Okay, uh, that's referenced in First uh, Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine, the Book of Natan, Nathan the prophet, uh, and that's referenced in First Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine as well, as well as Second Chronicles nine. 
929, the book of Gad the Seer. For, there's a lot in Chronicles, Ross, that makes so this yeah. is First Chronicles 2929. Um what is this? Is this a is this a library note in First Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine? I'm just going to go there now. I, I tell you what, whoever wrote Chronicles is widely read. Ross and has an impressive bibliography going on. It it, it really is fun, and you and I have uh, purchased uh, a book which harmonizes. I or, or just lays- tell everyone what that is because yeah. that's really good. I'm really glad that you uh, recommended that to me, and I'm very much enjoying it. And there's a lot of clarity coming from reading it uh, like this. What's it called? It's called A Synoptic Harmony of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles with related passages from Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezra. And this is uh, a really good book. It's edited by James D. Newsom Jr. I highly recommend it for people who really want to get in and study. And I tell you how I found it. What I was looking for is, you know how uh, Christian scholarship has made a big deal out of what they call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mm -hmm. Mark, and Luke. And, And a person who's interested in that body of literature can get a synoptic harmony or they can get a harmony that includes the Gospel of John, and it lays it out side by side. So if a story in one book tells the same story as another book, it puts it you know, in parallel columns. I was looking for a similar thing for the Torah because of the work that I'm, I'm doing mm-hmm. right now. And I wanted to look at, for instance, in Deuteronomy, if it talks about the journeys of the children of Israel, I wanted to look at the similar stories maybe in the book of Numbers. They don't have a book like this that I can find. But in my Google search, this book came up, and I'm so glad it did because it's uh, it's quite interesting how the different writers of the books of the Bible provide us with different details. It's really an incredible story. It's very clarifying, and uh, I'm really glad that you recommended it to me. So there's a plug to your listener. If you uh, have a few bucks for a new book, that's definitely one that you won't regret getting. You mentioned First Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine, and I yeah. looked that up. Now the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, and in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might, and the times that went over him and over Israel and over all the kingdoms of the countries. So there were like at least, uh, as it looks, three or four different accounts. And we have to wonder, Jono, were some of these, the question becomes, were some of these things incorporated into our Bible? Mm-hmm. For instance, the book of Yashar, we have two references that, mm-hmm. is that all that we have? Because it could be. Maybe it's all that has survived and thank Thankfully, we have it, um, but who knows? Maybe who knows? somewhere in a cave out there, That's maybe right. someone will find some of these things. That's what we hope for. We do indeed. Um, yeah, so it's fascinating. It just seems like they had an impressive library there and uh, and well-referenced uh, were the writings of the, the chronicler. So kind of to wrap up, the book of Jasher, as we read in the English, in the Hebrew, it's the safer, the scroll uh, of the upright. It's not a personal name. It, it tends to be based on the little bit we know from the two references. It seems that it is merely uh, a, a collection of sayings. And the only two that are recorded have to do with warfare. Now, The other thing that I want to highlight about this question, it brings up a question about uh, canonization or Mm. 
what's what was in, what was out. Yeah. As an example, Jono, I was thinking about this when when Richard's question came in. You have in the Christian Bible, in the Old Testament, as Christian calls it, a uh, Christian calls it. Uh, you have 39 books, and in the Jewish Bible, which is referred to as the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, you have 24 books. Now, why are they different? Uh, a lot of people might think that it contains different material. What it actually is, is it's a different ordering. Now, how do you go, for instance, some of our listeners may not know this, how do you go from 39 books in the Christian Bible to 24 books in the Jewish Bible. Well, one big difference is that when you look at what a lot of people in Christianity would call the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Nahum, Micah, you know, and so forth, those smaller prophetic books are collected in the Jewish Bible, and they're called the Twelve. Now, they're mm-hmm. still distinct books, but that makes up a big difference. So you go from 24, you make your way a good way towards the 39. And then you mentioned the combinations of uh, Kings and Chronicles and so forth. And Samuel, now, yeah. now, one other point that I want to make, uh, and, and I encourage people to study this, I learned it years ago in a book. Um, I want to make sure I get it right, but it was written by Dr. Martin, Dr. Ernest Martin. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, the book was called Restoring the Original Bible. Uh, that book, by the way, paved the way for Dr. Tabor's work on the original Bible project, which has now yielded the transparent English version, Mm -hmm. uh, book of Genesis. But, But the point I wanted to make is Dr. Martin showed that originally the Hebrew scriptures did not number 39, nor did they number 24, but they numbered 22 books. Uh Uh-huh. Now, what happened there? Again, it was the way that they were ordered and the way that certain books were combined. But what we have is we have quite a few references that uh, that substantiate the claim that originally there were 22. And the Hebrew writers, including Josephus and some of these others, made reference to we're not like all these other pagan people. We only have 22 books that we consider sacred. Mm-hmm. And they were referring to the content that we presently have in our Hebrew Bible. And this was established a long time ago. I mean, it's it's verifiable way back into the Second Temple period. Um, so I just wanted to make that out. And people who really want to search this out can go to the Talmud in the tractate Baba Batra. Mm -hmm. And in that tractate, it tells the Jewish tradition behind how many books and who wrote each book. And so people who are interested in that subject might want to do that. But as a closing point on the number 22, 22 books, all these ancient authors said that in the Hebrew Bible, we only have 22 books and there was a reason in their mind for it. Uh, the Book of Jubilees, for instance, which was found mm-hmm. at Qumran, copies yep. of which reference the 22 acts of creation. You know, if you go through, I hadn't actually done this, but maybe we should. If you count the acts of creation in the Book of Genesis, you'll have 22. And then um, uh, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so they began to see that 22 represented completion. 
So earlier when you asked the question, what if we found the Midrash of the prophet Edo? Hmm. Would we include it? And the reason I said no is because for so long, the canon, if you will, to use that term, has been sealed. And it's been accepted in this way as the tripartite divisions of Torah, prophets, and writings. It would continue to be an outsider, even if it made the same bookshelf, I guess, is my point. Right. So I was about to say that for people like you and I would definitely have, if we were to find the... Oh, yeah, no uh, doubt. It'd be on our bookshelf um, uh, right next to our copies of the Bible. Um, and uh, and we look forward to you know more discoveries being made. Has everything been found? I doubt it. You know, I, I, I very much expect that uh, archaeologists will continue to, to uh, find works that uh, hopefully, would, how wonderful it would be, that are actually referenced in the Bible that we have. Um, yep. Time will tell. But I'm glad that you uh, finished with that because it does lend itself, as I mentioned earlier on, to the question of uh, how were certain uh, books included in the canon that we have today uh and that does lend itself i think to the question that piper i I think we should we should maybe get to her question next week in regards to uh well in regards to ezekiel there's an interesting story to tell there okay we'll see now you're not you're pulling things out of the hat so you're not telling me that you're gonna (laughs) fold piper's paper just in a special way yeah i know what you're doing i know what you're doing piper's out there going yeah let's do it let's do Uh, it (laughs) But I, but I do, I really appreciate this question that came in from Richard. And, you know, I, I guess one of the things that it says is that Richard's really studying his scripture and he notices this. So the Bible does, uh, the writers of scripture referred to these sources. You know, scholars call it source criticism. Richard's picked up on that. Hmm. He's This writer... Um, uh, in Joshua and in uh, Samuel are both referring to another document. And by the way, uh, we know that Daniel the prophet is reading Jeremiah, Jeremiah when he comes yeah. up with, he gets the insight about the famous 70 weeks prophecy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so they're using sources. So the book of Daniel, before it existed, think about that, he had the book of Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. So we have to wonder, well, okay, that at what point does the Bible become the Bible? And that's a question that that's I think really is really important. Order. That's a really good question, and we'll leave that, uh, uh, dear listeners, to, to ponder. At what point does the Bible become the Bible? That is the program uh, for this week. Thanks for tuning in, dear listeners. And if you do have questions, um, send them on through in the comments section of this of this post. We would love to read them, and we'll endeavour to get to them eventually. Uh, but for now, that's it. Have an excellent week, dear friends. Hey, thanks for the questions, people. We really enjoy this, and this is fun. We get to talk about it, and uh, thanks for listening. Appreciate it.